Welcome to Solutions from the Yard, a candid discussion about life behind bars and its effect on society. We'll discuss reintegration or re-entry back into the community post-incarceration. Your host for this episode is Dietrich Trent. Welcome to Solutions on the Yard. Today's episode will be about re-entry, trust in the process. Today, I'm here with three of my cohorts, Brother Michael dickinson Neal, Brother Charles Hopkins, and Brother Donnell Felder. How y'all men doing? Doing great, bro. We're good. Mm-hmm. Peaceful. Yes, yes, yes. I'm glad to hear that. So, today, topic is about re-entry. We all went through the phase of re-entry, or we still may be still going through the phase of re-entry. And... The thing I want to speak on the reentry process, right? And and reentry starts with getting out of jail. That's the first process, and of incarceration, leaving prison, leaving any type of form of imprisonment, and, and returning back to society, and not to be confused with recidivism. See, that's a difference. Are you hear me? Not to be confused with recidivism. That someone that's not a re-entry process because it's keeping happening over and over and over again. We talk about a, a stint of time and coming back to society after doing time and coming back in on a re, real re-entry. Uh, and not to be, and I don't want re-entry to be measured by success because re-entry is not measured by success at all. And we all know that brother. And, and it's not measured. It's not also measured by failure, because we know you can always get back up and and keep moving. Instead, reentry is a journey that we want to talk about. Our journey of our reentry process, and always remember that two reentries and nausea are not the same. No one journey is the same. And I just want the people to know and hear our process and what re-entry means to us and how it affects us and how it affects the community as a whole and the brothers and sisters that's still incarcerated to this day. And today, we're going to talk about it. So, brother Donnell, how you doing? I'm all right. How you doing? Man, I am doing fine, brother. Man, you know, we, we go back many calendars. Yes, sir. So, yes, sir. I just want to tell, tell me... Uh, what are some of the components that you feel that need to be addressed for us on the or the invention side, meaning preventing it, right? What uh what 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 uh, key components you feel need to be addressed when it comes to the reentry process when brothers and sisters are back in reentering back into society? Uh, it's a uh, uh, it's quite a few of them, right? You know, because the process that I went through. It was a transition, you know, where there was a system in place that you had to go through. You had to be qualified to get to the halfway house first. And then once you make it to the halfway house, there's certain certain criteria that you, you have to meet in order to uh, conduct yourself in the proper fashion, right, and go through the scenarios that they give you so far as looking for a job, right? And uh, if you don't have education, they're going to send you to school and get you in school and whatnot and things of that nature, right? And... Uh, it was, it was like a process to where as though uh, it was an easy process in a sense, but you have to put yourself, you know, in a state of mind that, you know, all all the things that you went through after serving a, a lot of time, you just got to put that at, you, got, you just got to 
get out your system somehow. It's not going to be easy. So let me, so let me, I don't mean, let me, I don't mean to cut you. Let me ask you this. So what are some of the key things that you felt that you would, that you knew that you needed to be and quote unquote successful when you begin in your reentry, meaning like mental health, um, employmentship, housing, what are some of the key components you feel that you may need it? First of all, I had to, uh, get in touch with, uh, this uh, mental health clinic, mm-hmm. first and foremost, and uh, I went and talked to them, you know, to try to get my my barriers right and, and make sure I'm on the right track, you know, and I'm not going through any, you know, trauma. Going through, I went through, I'm, I'm still going through trauma, but I'm just saying to try to learn how to deal with the trauma, you know, upon reentering society after being gone for so long, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So that was one of the first things I did, you know, I went to the mental health clinic, MBI Center over on Minnesota Avenue and whatnot. And uh, I had a case manager, and I was seeing them on like twice a week, mm-hmm. things of that nature and whatnot. And uh, they uh, gave me the avenue on how to get housing. And uh, that's that's the most important part that they help yeah. me with is the housing and whatnot. You know? All right, I'm glad, and I'm glad you spoke on actually going to go see someone about your mental health because that's a that's a step that a lot of brothers and sisters, man, we ignore. Returning back to society, we think it's all done. I, I made it out the prison cell. I'm good. My mind, I'm strong. I survived that. But it's still trauma that going on on our brains with these cell with these bars when it comes to uh, mental health. Uh, brother Charles, how you doing? I'm doing great, bro. Yeah. So piggybacking off of what uh, brother Darnell Felder was speaking on, what are what are some of the key components you felt that was that was necessary to you and to the brothers and sisters returning home back to society? I think the number one thing is their mental health. And the Justice Department came out with a study um, four years ago to say that up to 60% of the people that's incarcerated, when you go into county jails or detention centers, that suffering from some type of mental illness, that once you go in prison and you suffer and you do long term, it's compounded. So coming out, I think that's the number one thing. And to, to uh, exemplify that point, that's the number one thing I got when I got out. When I got out, I went down to the mayor's office on returning citizens, and they gave me a packet of information that led prep, uh, to nowhere in reality. But the one thing that I got out of there was the mental health component. And so I got me a, a mental health person. The number two thing is a person need is housing. And and when I and because you ain't got no place to stay, in, and I was I was y'all know my story. Six months after being out, I was homeless. I wind up in a shelter. The only good thing about the shelter, I wind up in, the, everybody was just they had just opened it up, so everybody was relatively fresh in it, and uh, so everybody went to their spaces and mind their business. So I was able to to make the adjustment. The number three thing is some form of income, employment, and. That's the, the, the three most important things. Now, establishing like relationships, uh, I, me personally, right, I didn't involve myself with no relationship because I already knew that I went to prison when I was young, mm-hmm. that if I get involved with any type of relationship, I'm out of my league. So somebody going to wind up give me a note, tell me to go in the bank and get some money. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you spoke on that. And the fact that, once again, we here in mental health and... That's a stu- that's such a stigma, not only in in the black race, right, but 
especially to us and brothers and sisters as far as not, I really feel that we need some type of reparation coming home from prison after so many years. For any brother or sister experiencing that type of trauma and coming back out of here in society and being a productive individual needs some type of reparation because when it comes to the trauma that we deal with being in prison cells away from our family for so long. Uh, brother Dickinson Neal, how you doing? I'm peaceful, man. Yes. So, man, enlighten, enlighten the audience with, with with some of the key components and that you felt that was very necessary to you and others coming back to reentering in society again. Um, you know, when I when I look at reentry, it's um it's a process of retaking your possession, which you used to have. Because mm. when we was in society, you know, we had a you know, house, car, wives, children, these things, but when you go to prison, you were stripped of all that. Mm. You, all that's dead. And, you know, you become a number. You know, you heard that saying, you do not become a number. And once you become that number, you know, my number was 08474007. So when you go in a, a case manager's office or your counsel office and they want to know anything about you, the first thing they do, they don't ask you your name. They say, what's your, your reg number? Mm-hmm. Once they push that up, all the information that they have on you comes up. What prison you went to, how many uh, um disciplinary shots you got, all this type things, it comes up. And see, because you are stripped from society. You, you no longer a citizen. You a convict. Mm. And once you become that convict, you be you 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 basically placed into another whole society. Whatever prison you in, you become a part of that census. You see what I'm saying? You no longer a Washingtonian. You from North Carolina or wherever you from. But then when you come home, and see, that's why I say you got to retake your possession of who you used to be because people don't understand how important it is to get your Social Security card, your birth certificate. Because now you are reamalgamating yourself back into society. You no longer a convict. You are, you are a citizen of whatever state or city you, you live in. So therefore, you know, when they want to ask you anything now, they say, what's your last four of your social? And everything comes up about you. You know, your credit history, whatever. They are always going to ask, what's your last four of your social? So, therefore, you got to retake those things back so you can get back into society and be recognized as a citizen. So, people just really got to understand how important it is to have those two documentations because you can't do nothing without it. Can't get an ID, can't get a job, can't get nothing. So, when it comes to reentry, we have to use that form of a process to get a person back amalgamated into society so they can be recognized as a citizen. Yes, and I'm glad you spoke on that because I'm big on when uh, the brothers and sisters going to be recognized as citizens. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, <laughs> reentry is broken three phases, right? So, it's typically it, it, it's it, it's typically divided in three phases. It starts the first part of reentry starts within the prison institution that you were in, mm-hmm. right? When you see the reentry counselor, mm-hmm. they ask you what is your release package and what's what's your release plan and this and this thing. Mm-hmm. But this only happens to the individuals that are closer to going home, not for the individuals that still have time. That's right. But we're gonna touch on that. And also, it's 
the second phase of the reentry is where the individual reenters society and they connect with the community-based organizations, the uh, the government-ran uh, reentry programs and faith-based programs that help and support of reentry and employment ships. Mm-hmm. And then you have the the last leg of the where you have programs that assist long-term uh, sustainable uh, relationships with the pres- uh, ex- um, returning citizens after their incarceration, mm-hmm. right? And we know a lot of these these brothers and sisters they return back home with low level educations, uh, they, they uh, education and vocational skills and all types of mental related health issues, right? And they have substance abuse histories and they have housing issues, right? And all this. To saying that when we, our brothers and sisters are returning back into society, I want y'all to tell the audience today how did these three phases affected your returning when it started in the prison? How did when did uh, did you reentry became important to you and what process and what organizations that helped you? We ain't got to name no names, but helped you in the in, in detail. How did they help you and which one is continually? Supporting you when it comes to your uh, journey back in the reentry process, and I want to start with you, brother Charles. All right, um, that's, and that's I like that. That's a good observation, right? Because you correct them three phases. And first, I want to say that reentry should start when you get first get locked up, but we already know that that's not a reality. And but for me, uh, once I got, I knew I was getting ready to get out. And I was sent to the minimum security system. Then the reentry, even though I was in a minimum security institution, the mentality of the dudes in there was like maximum security. So it wasn't a lot of reentry activities going on. I took a I took the position that I'm gonna have to acclimate myself to being returned into society. So I got involved with a lot of programs and I brought programs into the institution. So I bring people off the street and networking with them. And when I got out, the number one thing that I did was my um, parole officer told me about this program up in uh, Bible Way. It had a, a reentry conference. And they had like over 30 different groups up there for returning citizens. Now, they might, to my knowledge, they didn't market it correctly because they had 30, they had more groups up there and people in the groups than they had participants. But when I got up there, so I'm walking around, I'm, I'm looking at all the different groups, and I seen uh, Miss Margot, for voice of voice, second chance. She's like ten feet tall, mm-hmm. standing over with somebody else. And uh, so I walked over. There, I said, "Yeah," and I told her my story. I said, "Look, I just got out, did this much time." She said, "Hey, you gotta come by the office." I said, "What office?" That? She said, "Well, it's over such and such and such." The next day, I walked across the Sousa Bridge and walked over here. This was voice of voice, second chance. John and P. Sousa bread, the John P. Sousa. Okay, well, the John P. Sousa bread. I don't want to misrepresent uh, P. Sousa, uh, but <laughs> and I got, and I walked across the John P. Sousa bridge and came over here and and uh, I got plugged into this network, Voice for a Second Chance, and then getting plugged into this network, they had at that time we had a men's support group down here in the room, and we had uh, and they and she came down one day say look. 
They got this app. They're going to send you. Do you want to sign up for this app? They're going to send you information about resources. And that's how I started getting. That's how I wind up getting information about different things. So what the last phase mm-hmm. in this process was, it's been voices for a second chance that been there. It's, it, when you talk about sustaining, it's been it's been this, this been one group that I know of mm-hmm. that has actually been in this space in in terms of like staying relevant and staying connected with people that's coming out in the network with them. So that's that's why that's how I look at it. I, uh, camp system. I had to create something uh, coming out. I had to you know I had a network and networking. I I found and landed on my feet. Yes, and, and one question, and you can make it short before I move on. Uh, didn't you wish you'd heard about of such a great organization like Voices of a Second Chance prior to you coming to society? And to be, be do, do you feel that you've been better for your yeah, process? You know what? And I'm, I'm, I, and I believe yes, because the, the core services that you get, I, I had to run around a month get identification. And we know what happened in a month for a brother that's dealing yeah. with Trump. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so we exactly go. I'm, thank you for uh, speaking on that. Brother Dickinson Neal, coming to you. Uh, tell me, uh, how do you feel that uh, the three phases affected you? And it, and how is it, uh, it, it helped you as a whole, as a, as a returning citizen? Uh I want to say from my own personal experiences, um, me being uh, in reentry, you know, because I'm reentry peer support navigator, and one of the things hey, is excuse me, where, where, where are you? To, where, where is that at? Voices for a second chance. Okay, thank you. And um, I believe that from my own experience is, you know, the phase that a, a you know a ex con or a returning citizen have to go through is really somebody that can recognize certain things. And, and, you know, one time I was watching the Zoom, and a guy said, and he was he was a navigator, and he said that if an organization does not have, a reentry organization does not have ex-offenders as their employees, they faking. Mm. And the reason why that stood out to me because you have to have somebody that can identify with the individual. Mm-hmm. You can identify with the individual when you did 24 years and this man did 25. I can mm-hmm. identify with you. So therefore I can meet your needs. I can have some form of understanding of what you're going through and try to coach you through it. So you should always, any reentry organization should have their go-to guys, right. and those go-to guys should mm-hmm. be ex-offenders, mm-hmm. because we understand we can see these things and we can walk these brothers and sisters through the process that they're going to need and they're going to feel comfortable with a person that say, you know, because if you're looking at a guy, he dressed all sharp and you know, you you just assume he got all these degrees, you're not going to really trust him. Because you just basically mimicking what you learned in college. Mm. But when the person say, hey, man, I just did 25 years. I just did 48 years. Then, boom, they willing to say things that they wouldn't say to another person. They willing to open up. And once they start opening up, then the case management can start. 
once the case management stops, they're going to trust the process. Mm. Once they start trusting the process, then the navigation could come in. Hey, brother, look, I need you to go down to this place. They got some jobs down there. And look, don't disappoint me. I'm going to call you. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? And then you build that bond, that friendship. And that's that those phases that have to, you know, be taking place. But first you got to get the individual comfortable with you. And that's why it's important for you to have brothers that's ex-offenders working in these spaces so they can build the comfort and guide these brothers and sisters in the proper way. I'm, I'm so happy that you spoke on the fact that their brothers and sisters returning home from society seeing someone that they could identify with and they could relate to and can meet them where they're coming at because, like I always say, y'all know my word is you tumble. I am, I am, I'm only as strong as, I'm only, I, I am as only as you is, meaning that I'm nobody until you are somebody. Mm-hmm. So you need brothers in these seats that they can see that's being out here after so many years and brothers and sisters after so many years working in these positions and of help. Because when they see, they walk in the doors of these, in these organizations, they see someone they can identify it it, it it peels the onion, mm-hmm. right? Takes the layers, say, take some of the layers off that you that, that you would normally have to go through if he wouldn't know anyone coming through these doors. Uh, so, <clears throat> brother Darnell, how you feeling? I'm all right. Okay. Then. <clears throat> so, tell me the three phases. You know, when when it started with the reentry process, when it started when when you was in prisons doing doing uh, when you was in the prison walls and when you came back home to society and the process after you being home a few, uh, so many years now, and what's the process like and what is the support to you as uh, a returning citizen? Okay. First of all, you have to, uh, while being incarcerated, you have to put your mind to it, right? And want to get in the zone where though you, you're seeking some type of rehabilitation, right? To, towards your reentry, you know, getting ready, you know, like say like you find out you, you, you ready to go home and whatnot. You know, because during the process, you before you find that out, it's a situation where it's though jail jail is, is very dangerous. You understand what I'm saying? So first and foremost, people got the person got to make sure he's safe. You know what I'm saying? And then you know the, it, it, it's dangerous spots all over in all prisons. You know what I'm saying? So you know, I was one that I, I didn't feel like going comfortable going over to the law library and things of that nature, right? But that's where most guys be at. You know, we fighting the cases, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure if I'd have been over there long enough to fight my case. I could have won it, but you know, I, I I had to find a way to brace myself, right, from certain, you know, certain, you know, uh, in crowds, you know, that was in jail and whatnot, right, you know, that to have a thing to prey on people and stuff like that, right, and bring harm to you some type of way, you know what I'm saying? So I had to put my back up against the wall and and, and came to the conclusion that you know I want to get back to my loved ones, right, the ones that still left, right, and so I just took it upon myself to, to remain as humble as I can. You know, even though I had a little scrapes and, you know, little battles and stuff like that, right? You know, but I still kept my mind focused on on the day that I'm, I'm coming home to my family. And the re-entry process was going to be a part of it. So uh, I finally got enough heart to go over to the law library when I made it to FCI. Because up until that point, I was in all penitentiaries. You know, some of the roughest ones, they say. Lewisburg, Polak, Louisiana, you know. Just to name a few, right? 
You know, it was kind of rough to handle spots, right? But I made it through. You know what I'm saying? So I uh, went over to the law library in Bennettsville, South Carolina. Like I said, I made it to a low-level security uh, facility. And uh, I was tossing through the, the law library books. And I happened to see this little pamphlet over there. And it said, Voices for a Second Chance. So when I seen it, then I seen the, the CEO of it and seen the name. I uh, <laughs> I called my sister, right? <laughs> and told my sister to call the organization and see what it was about. So my sister ended up calling the organization and she spoke with someone. They told him when he come home, tell him to come there, come there and see us. So once I hit the halfway house, that's another part of the reentry, you know, reentry process. After you after you make 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 it to the half, make get get approved to go to the halfway house. Then they transferred you to the halfway house after a certain amount of months, and when I six months or whatever, and when I so when I got to the halfway house, one of my first passes was down to voice for a second chance, and 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 they helped me, you know, like I say, reclaim my identity, helped me get my identification card, my birth certificate, and my social security card. You know what I'm saying? So you know that was a good start for me. You know what I'm saying? So the process. In re-entry, re it's not that hard, but you just got to want to do it. Mm. You know, like I said, the halfway house ain't a bad spot. It, it, it depends on what you want to do with the halfway house when you in there. You right. know what I'm saying? You know, because they give you flies. You know, they give you plenty of chance to go out and seek, seek, uh, you know, different organizations that's helpful for you and whatnot. And one of the organizations that they, they uh, sent me to, it was like 12 of us. It's called the uh, Project Empowerment. Yeah. And uh, what they did at the Project Empowerment, they take you through a, a three weeks uh extensive course of uh, learning how to uh, go on job interviews and con how to conduct yourself and things of that nature and whatnot. And it helped, and it paid off and whatnot. Because after, after the three weeks processed, they also have you already have a job ready for you in the area that you, you know, that you're qualified in, to work in and whatnot. You know, it was very helpful. All right. All right. So, in conclusion, hearing from the brothers today about their journey when it comes to the reentry process you know and we are not here to promote anyone to anything but we're here to just say trust the process if there is if you can and you know find the people the right people that you may trust and the people that you feel that gonna lead you in the right direction and for my brothers and sisters that's inside the walls of these uh, uh, of them terror camps that re-entry starts since soon as you go through R&D. Don't wait till we get close to the door and say, well, I'm going to change now because it ain't going to happen when you come back to society. You're setting yourself up for failure. So please listen to the message that was told today from these from these wonderful brothers. I thank you all. And that will be the conclusion of today's Solution on the Yard. You've been listening to Solutions from the Yard. This podcast is presented by Voices for a Second Chance, a comprehensive re-entry program that provides culturally appropriate, trauma-informed, gender-specific, and peer-based services. For more information, go to info at vscdc.org or visit our website at www.vscdc.org.